1: What's up guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host Tyler and I've got a very cool show lined up for you guys today. I'm very excited about it. First up, I've got Brett Siancha from Pick 6 Previews. He's going to join me today. To talk a lot of Georgia football, some SEC football, and even a little general national college football as well. He's the best in the business when it comes to preseason magazines, and we had a great conversation earlier in the week that I am very excited for you guys to hear. And then after the interview plays, I'm going to dip into the listener mailbag and answer some of your questions as the 2022 season is rapidly approaching. It literally cannot get here fast enough. We are oh so close, but it feels oh so far away at this point, but we'll get there. We'll get there together. But before we get to all of that, I do want to remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall It's getting close guys like time is very much running out. We're pretty much two weeks away from the start of the 2022 college football season. George is going to kick it off September 3rd in Atlanta against the Oregon Ducks and you don't want to wait till the very last minute to get your new game day gear. I know you've got to get your new game day gear because that's what diehard fans do. And Alumni Hall is hands down the best place to make that happen. They've got you covered. Doesn't matter what brand you like, what style you like. They have it all. The best selection out there in the marketplace. They've outfitted me. They've outfitted Charlie. They've outfitted Curtis for our 2022 college football season. And they can do the exact same for you. And one of the coolest things about Alumni Hall is their Hall Pass Rewards Program. When you shop with them, not only do you get awesome Georgia gear... But you also get to rack up rewards points for every $150 you spend. And let's be real, I know it sounds like a lot, but for you diehard fans, that's a drop in the bucket when it comes to Georgia Gear. I know if you're like me, you walk in the store and you just can't help yourself. It's it's like an addiction. I know it is. But for every $150 that you spend, you get $10 in rewards points to spend on any future purchase. And trust me, guys, you rack up those points pretty quickly. So go ahead and get your gear today before the best styles, before your size are out of stock. And while you're at it, use the promo code GLORYUGA, no spaces, for 15% Off your entire purchase. You have a couple more weeks left to use that promo code, guys. It ends on September 3rd when Georgia kicks off the 2022 season in Atlanta against Oregon. So make sure to use it, take advantage of it while you can. All right, guys, I am very excited to welcome in Brett Siancha, the mind behind the Pick Six Previews preseason college football magazine. You guys have heard me say this a couple years in a row now, but I'll say it again for some of our newer listeners. Pick Six Previews is unequivocally Hands down, the best preseason college ball magazine in the entire industry. Growing up, I'll just tell you from my experience, growing up, I used to sample, you know, all the different preseason magazines like a lot of you guys out there did. But once I stumbled upon Pick 6 previews a couple years back, man, it was game over for me. All the other preseason magazines were essentially just dead to me because they simply could not match the depth and the accuracy of Brett's publication. So if you have not picked up a copy, please do yourself a favor. Hop on pick six previews.com and get your copy today. But Brett, thank you so much for jumping on with me here today.
2: Oh, well, thanks for that praise. You know, unequivocally hands down the best. That sounds like Georgia last year. Uh, congrats to the dog fans out there as the national champions of 2021. And, uh, you know, the 41 year drought is finally over. You did it in style. You did it in my namesake with the big pick six to open the season against Clemson. And then, of course, to close it. And in the national title. So uh congrats to dog fans everywhere. It's a passionate bunch, and um, I'm excited to be back on the show and talk with you guys.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a season to remember. We're never gonna forget that one. But we're hungry. We want some more. And I actually want to open by giving you some credit, Brett. Let's not forget, guys, we had Brett on last year, around this time. And Brett, you had Georgia in your college football playoff predictions last season, and you obviously nailed it. Now, entering 2022, you once again have the dogs in your Cosswell playoff with the number three seed, Bama coming in at number one, Ohio State with the two seed. And those three teams, I think if you look pretty much anywhere right now, those three teams seem to be the consensus top three teams across the board. And I would argue, if you're asking me, I think there's those top three teams and then pretty much everybody else this year. So you have Georgia as the three seed. But in your estimation, how big is the gap between Alabama and Ohio State on one hand and then Georgia at number three?
2: Well, I'd say the gap between Bam, Ohio State and Georgia is minimal. I think they're, uh, you know, a superpower, whatever you want to call it, a super tier top um, top three. So I think the real big gap is after that top three. I was, uh you know, those were uh, pretty easy for me to pick one, two, three for my playoff this year. It was really a struggle to come up with the fourth team. And I think you see that across the country, a lot of different variables, a lot of different picks for that four spot. But the top three are consensus. And um, it's really a testament to the recruiting pipeline that all three have established. I mean, of course, for a decade plus, it was Nick Saban. And then finally, you saw Kirby Smart and Georgia start to challenge. They stole the crown. I think it was 2018 and 2020 classes for number one overall. And uh, so you're looking at the five-year trend, the three-year trend in recruiting. Georgia's right there, one A, one B with Alabama. Ohio State, a little bit different. Uh, they've really loaded up on offensive skill positions, and they have one of the best offenses in the country again. And um, they have an easier path than, than the rugged SEC West and, and the SEC. So um, I think those are a three consensus to have in there. I like it. Um, and then from there, it's wide open. But no, I think the gap is after Georgia, three to the rest of the country. Not not uh, you know no gaps between these top three.
1: Yeah, I'm just curious. I know this is a random question and this is a complete hypothetical, um, but I I totally agree with you that Ohio State's path is clearly easier than than either Alabama or Georgia. I think that's pretty clear. But let's just say for argument's sake that Ohio State and Georgia were playing uh, midseason at a neutral site. How do you think that matchup would go?
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I would love to see that. I'd love to see the Buckeye offense against the Georgia defense. And, um, you know, I think we might end up seeing it a few weeks later than the hypothetical. Hopefully we see that in the playoff. Uh, Hopefully the dogs prove me right again and get back to that final four. Um, Yeah, I think uh, if you catch, if Ohio State were to catch Georgia earlier in the season, maybe they'd have a little bit of success just because there's some new faces on defense. Um, for Georgia. I'll get into my breakdown there. I I still think Georgia's defense will be one of the best in the country, but um, in terms of catching a team early uh, of new faces, maybe, but um, yeah, I think neutral site, you'd probably, you'd favor Georgia at this point. So, um, and then we'll see how the teams evolve over the next 12 to 14 games before they meet up. So yeah, I'd I'd favor Georgia right now. It's just that in my, you know, I have Ohio State two, Georgia three. That's just because I know that Georgia and Bama have to face off. Um, So it was hard to picture a scenario where they're playing on that last Saturday in the SEC title game, and then they both end up 1-2. Uh, so, you know, I think the winner and loser are going to be spread out a little bit in that game.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. So, Georgia, you know, obviously there, there's a lot of losses off this team, but what has to happen for Georgia to find a way to get back to the national title game and repeat as national champions in 2022? What has to happen for the dogs?
2: Well, it's just the next level of players on defense have to step up. And I'm not saying that they have to match last year. I think when we look back on this 2021 defense, it'll be historic, especially in this high-paced, high-scoring era that we're in. It was statistically incredible. I mean, the best since 1985, I believe, 1985, Oklahoma. Um, And the game has obviously modernized and evolved since then over the last 30 years. So uh, you're not going to match last year's output, obviously. But I do think there's enough talent there to remain a top 10, a top 15 defense, um, because you hear this talking point from a lot of national guys, and it, it's a little bit you know, glossing over some of the fine details. They'll say, oh, they lost all these draft picks to the pros. They're going to rebuild. It's, they're going to struggle on defense with all these new players. But um, when you look at Georgia last year, when you watch them, uh, when you look at their snap counts, their tackle counts, they really rotated more than anybody in the country on defense. They had so many five-star and high four-star guys. That they could play situational football. They they'd bring in uh, the nose tackle for first and second down, and they'd have a huge pass rush package on third down. All these in betweener players too that were hybrid safety linebacker types. So yeah, I know that on paper the returning stat, uh, starters number looks low, but these guys are all experienced. And I put it this way: these guys, uh, you know, they're new starters uh, by definition, but they're next year's first round picks. So uh, they're they're very talented on defense, still.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think th- it's it's hard to say. There's not going to be a step back from last year's defense because, as you said, that's I mean, we're talking about historic level defense. I think when we look back, you know, twenty years from now, we're going to kind of view that twenty twenty one Georgia defense that way. So I, I, it's fair to say there's going to be a step back. But I'm with you. I don't think there's going to be this monumental, you know, regression that a lot of the talking heads out there are expecting. But that is the common refrain. I mean, all offseason we've heard that regarding this Georgia twenty twenty two football team is that there's going to be this defensive regression. The offense is going to have to I'm doing air quotes here, which I know you cannot see, but carry the defense. So I've gone as far as saying I believe this Georgia offense has the potential to be the best Georgia offense in program history. So am I crazy here, Brett? What do you think are realistic expectations for this Georgia offense? I want to get somebody's opinion that's not a diehard Georgia fan like myself. I want to get your objective take on that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when you see in my book, I, I have my analytics, my numbers, but I like to balance it out with the X's and O's and talking to head coaches, mm-hmm. talking to coordinators and watching all the games I can get my hands on. But, uh, specifically here, I'll talk a little bit about the, the numbers. And that really stood out to me with Georgia's offense last year, because when you watch them, the defense really caught your eye. You know, that was the headliner. It was the defense that, that carried them the whole season. Um, that was the big storyline. But when you look back, Statistically, the offense was really strong too. I mean, top five in my per play metrics um, and opponent adjusted metrics, top five, Uh, top ten scoring. You can go down the list. It's a lot of green, a lot of a lot of top ten, top twenty rankings. Um, And when you fast forward to next year, a lot of that core is back. Um, You know, Stetson Bennett back. You you two five star running backs. I know they're newer, but I think they're going to carry on from there. The offensive line has been a strength for years. That'll continue with three starters back and you saw Broderick Jones take a huge step there in the national title game. That's your next big star there on the offensive line. So um, yeah, there's enough continuity there. Not to even mention, I kind of glossed over the the best position group. That tight end room is incredible. I mean, that's the best tight end room in America. Um, All four guys probably could start elsewhere on 90% of rosters. So um, long story short, the defense got the headlines last year and the attention and rightfully so, but this was not a, a weak offense or an average offense. This was still a very above average, strong offense. And, uh, you bring back a lot of that core. Todd Monken really it turns out to be an ace coordinator. And, um, yeah, a lot to like on that side too.
1: So, see, guys, it's not just me. I know I'm the homer, but even Brett, the objective analyst here, the expert, he's kind of with me. So, I think this offense is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. But, you know, go back, going back to the defense here real quick, it's obviously been very well documented that Georgia broke the NFL draft record for the most players drafted in a single draft this past, I think it was, what, May, April, one of those months. But of all those departed players, which player do you think the dogs will miss the most this season?
2: Yeah, well, there's a lot of great names, a lot of all-time legends of uh, within the Georgia program now heading into the pros. Um, I look at two names, and they were the, the top two tacklers on the team, uh, Louis Scene and Nakobe and Dean, both very versatile guys. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm based out of Philadelphia and, uh, I hear it all the time from these Eagles fans and they're oh, saying, yeah. they, they, and I agree with them. They got a steal there in the third round with the Dean. That guy Absolutely. should have been first round talent. Um, so anyways, yeah, I would pick those two guys and, uh, yeah, but like I said, there was so much rotation on that defense. Um, and a lot of situational guys are now stepping into full-time roles. And if you, if, you, if you're in the NFL draft circles, a lot, a lot of people were saying Jalen Carter could have been the best of all of that group. So um yeah so I, I'd say Cena and Dean
1: yeah I mean especially I mean obviously N'Kobe's just a fantastic player on the field but his leadership too I mean he was an absolute rock for that defense and that's going to be avoided that to have to find a way to fill this year it's gonna be tough to replace his shoes there in a lot of different ways but we'll uh we'll give it our best shot and it, it, it's funny you know going through the entire offseason consuming as much college football content as I do I have had a Great time. I, I found it comical. I've had a fantastic time watching all these talking heads across the spectrum of the college football media landscape, just really bend over backwards, trying to outdo each other, picking which team is going to upset Georgia this season. It's, it's gotten hilarious at this point. Uh, It has really gotten to the point now that apparently the dogs, I think we're going to lose four or five games this season is kind (laughs) of what I'm getting out of all this, but of all those potential upset spots, and I will admit there are some, there are some scary spots. There are some potential landmines on this schedule Be it Oregon week one at South Carolina, Tennessee at Mississippi state at Kentucky, any of these games could be tricky spots for sure. So I've seen, I mean, I've seen, different people in the media pick Georgia to lose each of those teams at different points. So in your mind, Brett, which one of those games would challenge the dogs the most this season?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, you f- forgot to mention today, the big news was how Kentucky's going 11 and one and how they're going
1: to win. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's usually pretty good, but, um, yeah, I want to talk to him a little about that Kentucky pick, but, uh,
1: that's a little aggressive.
2: Yeah, I mean, give me some kind of spread or some under on that. I don't know what the betting thing could be on that, but give me yeah, that, I'll please. Take that. I'll take um, the under. Yeah, when you look at Georgia's schedule, it's uh, it's very doable this year. Um, you know, compared to last year, you open up with a uh, defending playoff team, Clemson. I know they didn't end up being that caliber, but th- it got off to a bang. And uh, but yeah, you look at it this year, Oregon's going to be tough, and I think that might be the toughest on the sl- on the entire slate for a couple reasons. Uh, you get the, you know, Oregon's facing off against a younger defense like we talked about, and I don't, I don't want to contradict, but, I mean, you will have guys in, in full-time roles for the first time, uh, not to mention Dan Lanning, uh, coordinator over there, he knows a little bit about the Georgia offense, having gone up against them every day in practice the last couple of years, so I think there's some truth to that. Um, I don't know that it'll make up the whole gap for the whole game and, and flip the flip the game result, but I think that'll be some challenges there. Uh, so Oregon, I, I don't really buy the South Carolina or the Missouri road game traps that you, that you see referenced. Um, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. I'm going to throw those two out Florida and Jacksonville. I, I don't know what to make of Florida. They're very, uh very variable this year. I had, a, I had trouble forecasting them. You know, they have top 10 talent on paper, but it is a coaching transition year. You kind of mm-hmm. lost the locker room at the end of last year in last November. Um, so, Yeah, out of all these, I would maybe say Tennessee. And I say that because they're an outlier offense. They're very high tempo. Um, So I don't know. If you get caught in some of the bad position groups and bad matchups, they could really take advantage and score in bunches. So I don't know. I'm not sure what to think of Tennessee either. Uh, They they don't have the defense really to match it yet. But uh, at least one side of the ball, they're strong. And, And for a total wild card here, no one's talking about this game. I don't think it's been referenced yet. But there's one team on your schedule. That put up fifty plus points on Florida last year. Do you know who that is?
1: Okay, I'm trying to think. Okay, it's not I don't think they didn't play Kent State. Sanford. This- yeah, yeah, Stanford. it's more so a yes, knock on Stanford. Florida. Cause, I, was, I think I was in Tennessee watching that game, <laughs> getting ready to go to the Neyland Stadium. And I was like, what? They're going to do it. Yeah, I remember that. It's all right. Good call. I figured I'd throw, throw a jab Good in call. there because Florida you almost fans. Got me there. I had to think about that one for a second. Yeah, I figured
2: I'd throw a jab in there because Florida fans have been so ruthless to Georgia people with the 1980 chance and all this. Oh so uh, yes. I threw a little Sanford reference in there. But in all seriousness, no, it's a pretty manageable schedule here. And um, I think the you know it it could very well be eleven and one or twelve and zero heading into Atlanta for the SEC title game.
1: Yeah, Tennessee. It's I'm actually glad that Georgia has Tennessee at home this year because I I do think that offense is the best unit that Georgia's going to face all year. And I mean that game at at Neyland Stadium was you know I just referenced that It, it was it was close ish for close to the first the entire first half a quarter and a half of that game and then we pulled away with depth and whatnot and defensively they just that's that's the thing with Tennessee offense I think they're the tempo they play with, I think it works to their defensive disadvantage at times, and they're just, they just they don't have the elite talent there anyway, but that offense is scary. You're right. I mean, if it gets going, that's – um. Like I, I do think Tennessee is probably the best team in the schedule. I really believe that. That's why I'm very excited that we actually get them at home. So I think that's a good call there. So for the next couple of questions here, I do want to move out a little bit to the larger SEC. And, yes, I realize the SEC East is about to be a relic of a, uh, of a bygone era here in a few years when Texas and Oklahoma joined the league. But Tennessee, Florida, and South Carolina, these are three SEC East programs, for the time being at least, trying to catch up to Georgia. And they've all three welcomed in new head coaches over the past two seasons. So of those three programs, which one do you think, Brett, is set up to have the most success over the next decade or so?
2: Okay. Yeah. Over the next decade, I, I would go Florida. I think um, in the in the immediate sense in 2022 and maybe the next season, I, I'd say Tennessee. I think that their offense yeah. is elite. We touched on that. They might be close to breaking through to a 10 win or nine win season, but uh, longer term, longer view, five, 10 years. I think Florida, uh, just given their recruiting pipeline, their location, and I always say the one thing you can't change in college football is your is your location and uh and Georgia's a testament to that given the 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 uh the surge in high school talent down there in that state, but really Florida I think that's a program that if they unlock the right recruiting you know uh budget and strategy and staff, that could really be a top five recruiter every single year if they do it right they were under urban Meyer. They were for decades prior under Steve Spurrier kind of went away from it the last couple of years, but I think, uh, and Billy Napier, I, I don't know if he'll be there in 10 years. It's a long time horizon, but, um, certainly making the right moves in the recruiting game. He, he calls it his, uh, I think he called it his, his army of staffers, something like this, where he hired so many people for the recruiting department. And, um, th- that's going to really change the game for them. They'll be back to being, a. Uh, one of the best rosters in America very quickly, so I think Florida is is poised to bounce back and bounce back quickly.
1: Yeah, they've certainly modernized their recruiting efforts. And, and Napier, he's been around Kirby Smart, he's been around, he's been around uh, Nick Saban. He he knows how to build a recruiting staff. And so I, I I I I totally agree with you. I think they should be a top five recruiting team year in year out. And I think they'll get much closer to that under Billy Napier. So I think you you nailed it there. All right, I'll get you out of here on this one, Brett. Let's go to the SEC West for our last question. We know. I mean, everyone knows Alabama has been the dominant force for going on what 15 years now over there.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: Texas A&M, with the way speaking of recruiting, with the way they have been recruiting of late, looks to be the team gaining the most ground on the tide over the past couple of years. Obviously, beating Alabama last year in College Station. So, just how close is A&M to not just beating Alabama in a one-off situation, but actually overtaking Alabama in the SEC West?
2: Yeah, well, Texas A&M, this, uh, this has been building for five years now. And, um, you know, when Jimbo Fisher signed the number one overall recruiting class, not just of 2022, but of all time, I think that raised some eyebrows from some folks and, and all the allegations started pouring in, of course. But you got to look at it like this. Uh, Texas A&M in their whole history before Jimbo Fisher arrived, they had never signed back-to-back top 10 classes. Jimbo's done it four years in a row now. And, uh, and this number one class is the crown jewel. And um, I think that some recruits looked at last year. I know that they went eight and four again, but uh, when they beat Alabama, they finally got that off their, you know, the monkey off their back, so to speak. And I think the recruits saw that and figured, wow, we're, they're that close to breaking through. Um, now all those, now all those positives that they've always had come into play. It's the big stadium, the rabid fan base, the boosters. Uh, now you have a national champion head coach. Jimbo won it in 13 back at Florida state, a solid staff around them. And then of course the location uh, being out there in Texas, it's, Uh, a great pipeline. They also have that SEC patch on their jerseys that for up until next year, Texas Longhorns don't have. So they've really dominated the recruiting trail, and um, you're seeing it come to life on the field. I mean, they're really strong in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line. They signed not just one, but they signed four five-star defensive linemen this year. I think the question really for them in 2022 and 23 will be how quickly do these five-star guys, there's eight five-stars overall and 18 top 100 prospects. The question is how quickly do they become all-conference guys, or is it going to take longer than just one or two off-seasons? But uh, the raw firepower, the raw potential is is sky high there, and it's a matter of time until the roster takes that step.
1: Yeah, the roster is there. they just got to find that quarterback, and if they do, then once that happens, all bets are off. But, Brett, this was awesome, man. I really, really appreciate you joining me on the show, Dave. We're going to have to do this again next year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I always look forward to this on my podcast and radio tour in August. And, um, and Hey, I hope you guys go prove me right again. Hopefully we're talking here at the end of December and it's uh, a big Alabama Georgia rematch in the title game and you guys are uh, heading to the playoffs. So yeah, thanks for having me anytime. And uh, you know, it's at pick six previews on Twitter. If you want to throw me a follow there and, um would love to connect with more Georgia fans. Cause like I said, it's it's there's only a few fan bases out there that can match my high level of passion for the sport. And I, I certainly know Georgia's on that tier. So it's been great connecting with so many of you.
1: Absolutely. So guys, show Brett what we're made of. Go follow him, buy his magazine, support literally the best preseason magazine out there, guys. But uh Brett, again, awesome man. Appreciate you. And uh hey man, enjoy the season. Thanks, you too. All right, man, take care. All right, guys, so that was a lot of fun. I had a great time talking with Brett. If you aren't familiar with his work in the Pick 6 Preview, preseason college football magazine, I hope now you understand what I'm talking about. He's the best in the business. The guy absolutely knows his stuff. He's a college football encyclopedia. Just like you and I, he lives and breathes college football. So I'm really excited that we were able to get him on today. But we've got a few more minutes here. I got a little more time. So I want to dip in a little bit here. To the glory, UGA listener mailbag. The questions have been coming in hot and heavy recently. Obviously, with fall camp kicking off and us getting closer and closer to the college ball season, that's usually when all the questions start piling up on us. Which is great. We love it. We love the interaction. We want to try to answer these questions as quickly and as timely as we can. And I have a little bit of time here to answer at least a couple of these questions. We're going to try to fit in a full-on mailbag episode. Before the season hits, then once the season gets here, we'll be doing one of these each and every week. So never be a stranger, guys. If anything's on your mind, let us know. You can hit us up on Twitter. That's at glory underscore UGA. You can email us, gloryUGA podcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram. That's at gloryUGA podcast. So whatever works for you, a couple different ways to get in touch with us and get these questions on our radar. But we're gonna open today. With uh, This is a big picture question. You guys know I like to open the big picture questions. And this one is from Jeremy. I love this one. Jeremy is asking, why is everyone just assuming that Bama and Ohio State are going to be better than Georgia this season? The dogs are coming off a national title, and I know they are in everyone's top three, but no one is actually picking them to go back to back this year. What's with the Disrespect. Great question, Jeremy. I, I like your style. I like where you're coming from here. I'm kind of with you. Now, I, w- I will say to start off, and this is not a shout out to you, Jeremy. I really appreciate the question. I, I do think sometimes we as fans, and this is not just unique to Georgia. This is all fans. I think we are a little too quick to feel disrespected as though members of the national media are picking on us, and no one cares about us, and they're just haters. And and, and, and sometimes that's true. I'm not saying it's not, but I think we are a little quick with our disrespect trigger at times because by and large, most of the national college media guys, they're just, they're just giving you their opinions. Most of them, I, I don't think are biased. I think they're just giving you their true objective opinions. And sometimes their opinions don't really jive with what your opinion is on your favorite team. So I understand that oftentimes that translates into feeling disrespected and I don't know if I would go as far as saying I feel like Georgia is being disrespected in the preseason when you're preseason top three and you're really one of three teams that everyone out there in the country is saying hey you're pretty much one of one of three teams in this elite group that have a chance to win national title this year I think that's pretty much the general consensus as Brett and I were talking about in the interview so I don't know if that's full-on disrespect I think we might be reaching a little bit there But hey, I get where you're coming from here. We won the national title last year. We beat Bama. We climbed that mountain. And yet we're right back behind them in this preseason, behind Ohio State, who had their pants pulled down by Michigan last year. So I do, at least to a degree, get where you're coming from here. And I actually agree with this. I will agree with you here. Why in the world is everyone just assuming that Bama and Ohio State are going to be better than Georgia? I, I, I like the fact. I agree with the fact that we should be in this group of three Three elite teams that have a chance to win national title. I really believe the national champion this year will come from one of those three teams in that elite group. But why is Georgia just the default number three team in that group of three elite teams? And this is actually something that I'm going to be talking about on my national show, Never Graduate, which I know a lot of you are listening, and I appreciate that. But if you if you don't listen to that, I, I'll go ahead and give you my synopsis here. I actually recorded this already. I did an interview with Whit Barfield from the Around the Kick podcast, who's fantastic, by the way. You guys need to be checking out that podcast. But uh, we've already recorded this. I'm going to play it next week for you guys. But I'll I'll give you my thoughts again here for those of you who might not check that out, might not listen to Never Graduate, which I hope that you do. But if you're not, we'll just share the thoughts here right now. And my problem is really more so with Ohio State being above Georgia, not as much with Alabama, although I'll get to Bama. I do think they have some questions. I don't think they're just a a shoe-in to win the national title like a lot of people want you to believe. But Why is Ohio State just clearly better than Georgia this year? Why is that the national consensus? Do they have any fewer questions than we do? And look, I'm not saying that we don't have questions. Clearly we do, especially defensively. There are questions for this Georgia football team that need to be answered. There are things that I am concerned about. You guys hear me talk about it on a weekly basis we clearly have some questions on defense, whether it's inside linebacker, whether it's the depth on defensive line and who those guys are going to step up. We know Jalen Carter, but who's going to step up alongside him, whether it's cornerback. There are some questions on that defense. Who's going to start at safety? Is it going to be Dan Jackson? Is it going to be a young freshman, Malachi Starks? There are questions, but Ohio State doesn't have questions on defense. Are we serious right now? Ohio State does not have questions on defense. No comprende, brother. I do not get that. I do not understand why we're just saying, oh yeah, Ohio State clearly better than Georgia, especially when it comes to the Ohio State defense. Yeah, Jim Knowles, I know. This is where I pointed. pointing to. Well, Jim Knowles, you know, he, he's never had a bad defense. He's going to come into Ohio State this year and he's just going to fix everything magically. Yeah, Jim Knowles is a fantastic defensive coordinator. He was at Oklahoma State last year turn them into a top five defense that's been a program that historically under Mike Gundy has been driven by their offense high-powered offenses but Jim Knowles flipped the switch that defense is what drove that team last year to the precipice of a college football playoff bid he's great I'm not saying he's not but we're expecting him to just ride into town into Columbus Ohio and just fix things immediately because there have been problems at Ohio State guys and it was not just last year this has been a problem for quite a few years. I mean, 4 years, the last 4 years. Now they they were fantastic in 2019. They were arguably the best defense in the country. If you look at total defense or I'm sorry, if you look at yards per play allowed defensively, they were number 1 in 2019. They were awesome. But that was the clear outlier of the last 4 years. If you look at the last 4 years, they were 72nd in 2018 in yards per play allowed. Again, first in 2019, that's fantastic, but that's the outlier. Back to 77th in 2020, 43rd nationally in yards per play allowed last year. This has been a consistent problem for them. This is not a one-year blip on the radar. This has been a problem. And yes, Georgia does have questions to answer on defense, but come on, guys. like We recruit that side of the ball better than anyone in the country. Do we have issues recruiting receivers? Yeah, obviously we do. Now, we're evaluating well, but we're not recruiting the five-star guys like Ohio State is, but defensively, who is recruiting consistently as well as we are on the defensive side of the ball? There's no one out there, okay? Those teams don't exist. They're teams that recruit really well defensively, A&M obviously last year, but if you look over the last four or five years, like a full roster of, of recruits, no one has recruited as consistently well defensively as we have. Now, yes, we did lose a lot. But the answers are there. They're just young. And the rank and file college football fan, they don't know who those guys are yet. You and I have a much better idea because we live and breed this team, right? But the average college football fan does not. So they're just saying, oh well, Georgia, you only know, lost five first round draft picks, lost, you know, what, sixteen players in the NFL draft. There's just no way. They're they're really gonna take a step back on defense. But they just don't understand what we have waiting in the wings, and that's the disconnect there. And I do understand how good this Ohio State offense is going to be. They have a chance to be scary good offensively. There's a little bit of concern in terms of running back depth, but the guys they've got, Trayvon Henderson, is as good as there is in the country. Quarterback, C.J. Stroud, as good as there is in the country. Wide receiver group, almost certainly the best in the country. They're going to be awesome. Might be the best unit in all of college football this year. That, I totally understand. I'm not arguing against that. But saying that, This also might just be, as I said to Brett earlier today, might be the best Georgia offense in the history of our program. Are we going to be as prolific as the Ohio State offense? No, in no way, shape, or form do I expect that. But short of the Ohio State offense, I don't know if there's going to be too many teams in the country that have the chance to be as explosive, as efficient as we are. Because guys, newsflash, as Brett was telling you, and I have been telling you All offseason long, the list of offenses last year that were more explosive and more efficient than our offense was extraordinarily small. And I don't see how this Georgia offense will not be better than the 2021 Georgia offense. So sure, the Ohio State offense might well be the best unit of the four units. You take the Georgia offense, Georgia defense, the Ohio State offense, the Ohio State defense. Their offense is going to be the best unit, probably. We'll see what happens with our defense. It's not a done deal, but I'll give them the edge right now based off having more known quantities. But on the whole... When you take both sides of the ball into consideration, give me Georgia. I simply think our offense is closer to the Ohio State offense than the Ohio State defense is to the Georgia defense. I do understand if you're using this as a projection. You have Ohio State State number two in the preseason AP because you project them to finish higher than Georgia because their path is easier. That I get. That I understand. I just don't like doing... An AP preseason poll as a projection. I like to do it as, hey, this is my power ranking right now. Here's who I think are actually better teams. That's how I do it. I know that's not how everyone else does it, but that's how I approach it. And from that perspective, I will agree with Brett. I know you guys want to call me a homer, and that's fine. I run a Georgia podcast. I probably am. I'll own that. Whatever. I try to be as objective as possible, but I'm a fan too. There's a little bit of that built in there. Of course, you can't get around that. But Brett, He has no dog in the fight. He told you guys the same thing. Right now, he would give Georgia the edge if we played on neutral site. I happen to wholeheartedly agree with that. Now, Bama, that's a little bit of a different story. I do think Bama is a more complete team than Ohio State, but let's not act as though Bama does not have their fair share of questions either. There are questions for this Alabama team. I know they are the consensus number one, and I'm probably fine with that because, again, I do think they have... Probably, I would say they have the fewest questions and the most known commodities among the top three teams, but I think there are serious questions at wide receiver. They do not have any sure-fire answers. They have guys they think are going to be answers that the national talking heads think are are going to be answers that are going to be the next Jalen Waddle, the next Devontae Smith, the next Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, whoever you want, the next big thing for them at wide receiver. And I'm just not a hundred percent sold on that. Jermaine Burton, we know him very well. And this is not me trying to take a shot at Jermaine Burton. I'm not, I don't resent Jermaine going to do what he thinks is best for himself and his family, more power to him. You know, player empowerment. Great. I hope it works out for you to a degree, as long as it doesn't hurt us. But Jermaine Burton, like, we really think that that guy is going to put up the same numbers as Jamison Williams and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. You think he's that guy? I could very well be proven wrong. I fully expect him to put up better numbers than he did here in Athens because they just throw the ball more by virtue of the offense that they run. They also have a Heisman Trophy winner throwing in the football, so he'll put up better numbers. But is he going to be the impact-type player that they've had at that position in recent years? I still have serious questions about that. In fact, I think Tyler Harrell, the transfer from Louisville, really fits the profile of the guys that that they've had the past couple of years, those explosive home run threats who can take your take your little five-yard RPO glance route that they've made a living off of the past couple of years and take it the distance. I think Harrell is more that guy than Jermaine Burton is. Burton's a more polished receiver than Harrell, but in terms of speed and explosiveness, I mean, Harrell's the guy. He's that dude. And and maybe it's Shakori Brooks, former five-star guy. Maybe he is the number one guy. But whoever ends up being the number one guy for them this year, because somebody has to be, but are they going to be as good as those players they've had in the recent past? I have serious questions about that. And I think there are still some serious questions about their offensive line. That was a problem for them down the stretch last season. It was a disaster in the spring. Their A-day, not G-day, their A-day I mean, it was on full display how bad it was. Now, that's a spring scrimmage, and you can't really draw any definitive conclusions from that. But they knew it was enough of a problem to go out and get a graduate transfer from Vanderbilt. They got Tyler Steen to come play left tackle for them, and they feel confident about him there. But we'll see. He's a good player. I know you say, well, Vanderbilt, but he, he's a good player. He was probably the best player on the entire Vanderbilt team last year. But I still don't know. I mean... I still have some questions about Darian Dawcourt at center. I have some questions about Emil Ekior at right guard. J.C. Latham couldn't cut it at left tackle. Now he's at right tackle. He he can be protected more there at right tackle. He's not protecting the blind side, but he's still not a guy that is a, an established player right now. We'll see. I think they're probably going to be fine on the offensive line, but it's just not a dominant group. I think Georgia has a better offensive line coming this year than Alabama does. I feel pretty confident saying that. And in the middle of their defense, they're fine inside linebacker. I know everyone wants to prop Henry Toe up like he's some superstar stud. Yeah, I know. He's a former five-star guy, and I know he was a big transfer for them last year coming over from Tennessee. But um, there's a reason he's coming back for a fourth year and he didn't go to the NFL draft last year is because the NFL scouts told him, yeah, no, you're not going to be that high of a draft pick because he wasn't really good last year, guys. He was okay at best. And they have a lot of veteran guys along the defensive line on the interior. Now, their pass rush is fantastic. The pass rush is the best in the country, the best I've seen in probably a couple of years. Their rivals it might be even better than what Michigan had last year. When you've got guys like, uh, obviously, Will Anderson and then Dallas Turner coming off the edge, Chris Braswell as well. I mean, they've got some studs rushing the passer. But I I don't want to say that they're soft between the tackles, but I don't think they're near as strong between the tackles with guys like DJ Dale and... and like B, Byron Young. I mean, we've been waiting for a guy like Tim Smith to break out. They're fine there. They're they're not bad. They're good. They're veterans. Those guys have been around for a long time. They play a lot of football. But I don't think that's a dominant interior group, especially when you throw in the inside linebackers there. So I think there are some questions. Eli Ricks at cornerback has not turned out to be the guy they thought he would be. At least not right away. Right now, it looks like he's probably not even going to start for them. He's having trouble picking up the defense, which is really hard for me to believe at this point. But that's the, the word coming out of Alabama's fall camp. So, Bama is not without questions, but they do have the returning Heisman Trophy winner. They have the guy who should have won the Heisman Trophy last year in Will Anderson. You got Dallas Turner, who I think is a superstar in the making. I, I'm really high on Jameer Gibbs and what he can do at running back. And, and the receiver, they're still talented. But I just don't know if they have the guy. They have some really good football players. I think Kool-Aid McKintry can be a really good cornerback. They they have some veteran guys at safety. I think Brian Branch is a really good player. Malachi Moore also backing him up at star. They're really talented. I think they're probably right now, the at least coming into the preseason, based on known commodities, they have the most known commodities and I guess the least number of questions Coming into the into the twenty twenty two season, so I'm fine with them being number one, but I would have Georgia number two. I, I think Georgia is better than Ohio State. I approach it from a power ranking perspective, so yeah, I would have Bama one, Georgia two, and Ohio State number three.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's libsyn You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's libsyn you're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads dot com.
1: Okay, so I went a little long on that first question, which is you know, I've been known to do that. I didn't intend for that to be the case, but I got kind of fired up there and just uh, and kept going there. So I, I, I hope you enjoyed the answer at least, but let's go ahead and move on here. Got a couple more questions that I want to try to get to today. Let's go to Paul. Paul is a good friend of the podcast, always sends some great questions in. And Paul asks, who has the biggest season for the Georgia this year? Dominic Blaylock, Kiaris Jackson, or Marcus Rosamy Jack-Saint? This is a great question, Paul. These are three guys who, uh, you know, roseme wasn't so much injured last year. Obviously, he was injured in 2020. Kiaris coming off an injury they dealt with most of last year. Dom, we, we know the two ACLs. It's tough. So looking for bounce-back years, breakout years for these guys. Maybe Kiaris already kind of broken out, but he's coming he's coming for a, a bounce-back year here. You know, Marcus Roseme Jackson's a really intriguing player for me. I, I was really high on him coming into last year. I loved this guy at the receiver position coming out of high school. I mean, he was a stud in high school. He hasn't been that guy yet. He was showing signs of that about midway through the 2020 COVID season. Remember he caught that touchdown pass and his leg fell off against Florida. It was terrible. But he's bounced back from that. But he didn't have the impact from a receiving standpoint last year that I was hoping he could and I thought he might be able to. He's been a very good blocker for us out there. I not dominant because he still makes mistakes out there he's whiffed from time to time but I do think he was probably our most consistent perimeter blocker out there and I think he has the potential to be even better which I know that's not a sexy thing for a receiver to do but that's a critical part of playing that position especially in our offense that's what helps us create explosive run plays but I think he can do more for us in the past game I think he has some explosiveness I think he moves well he's a good athlete he's a Tall, physical guy. He's got good hands. I think he can give us more. I just need to see it from him. But I, I'm probably going to go with Kiaris here because I've seen I've seen it from him more than I have from, from Rosemi and more than I have from Dom. And Dom, you know, just coming off both those ACL tears, he's going to play this year. He's going to be in the rotation. But from what I've been told, he hasn't been one of the top guys standing out this fall at that position, and that's natural. I'm not taking a shot at Dom. I love Dom Blaylock you know, coming off those two injuries, you've got to kind of get your legs under you, you've got to get your confidence back, and that's tough, you know, planning, I mean, I can't even imagine what this guy's gone through, to fight all the way back from one ACL tear, come right back and tear another one, and you have to do the same process all over again, I mean, a lot of guys just quit, I mean, Miles Brennan just quit because he didn't win the starting quarterback job, he's like, I'm deuces, I'm out, I'm done, but Dom didn't do that, Dom kept fighting and fighting and fighting, and he's back, and I am rooting for that guy, I am rooting hard for him, but he hasn't been one of the guys you hear talked about as much this fall right now. I think as the season goes on and he gets more and more reps, you might start to see some of that old Dom Blaylock. But I think Kieris is the guy right here because we've seen him do it. He's been that guy. He's going to be our starter uh, at the slot position. Now, part of what is going to hurt Kieris is the fact that our tight end room is so good because when Kiaris is on the field, that means one of those guys is not on the field. We're Probably not in 12 personnel if Kieris is on the field. We have that slot guy on the field. So I, I think the emergence of all those tight ends might actually cut into Kiaris' playing time a good bit. But when he's on the field, I think Kier's is, is a big-time player for us when he's healthy. We've seen that from him. He started to do that a little bit more as the season wore on last year, and I think this year with a full healthy offseason – full healthy fall camp and feeling good in his in his final year that he could have another really really productive year for us i think he's going to lead us in receiving i i'm not going to say that i think it's probably going to be ad and maybe even lad with my top two guys there but i think Kier is going to be very productive for us and and have a big season and really help this offense uh be as explosive as it can be that that i expect it to be so i'm gonna go kiares there paul good question all right next up speaking of tight ends in our incredible tight end room Dalton has a question where he asks, and I appreciate this Dalton, he says per- percentage-wise how many plays would you like to see Georgia run in 12 or 13 personnel with the three tight ends we're going to have I feel at least 40% of the time and Dalton I don't think that number is that far off. I mean 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field we need to be in that at least 50% of the time and that's essentially what our breakdown was last year. It was about 50% of the time, if I remember correctly, right around there, that we were in 12 personnel with two Titans on the field. 13 personnel, we were not in that grouping as much, but I mean, when you throw in Arete Gilbert, throw him back in the mix, along with Darnell Washington, along with obviously Brock Bowers, and hey, Oscar Delp, let's not forget about the true freshman. That guy is a threat. That guy is a problem for defenders to match up with in the pass game. He's got to get a little bit better as a blocker, but in terms of catching the football, and making plays out there, yeah, that dude can do all of that. Yes, believe me, he can. So it's very, very difficult to not have those guys on the field because they just make plays. And really what you have to do is look at it and say, okay, match up our tight ends versus our receivers. Who gives us a better chance to be explosive and efficient offensively? I think right now, based off what we know, it's the tight ends, matchup problems, what we force defenses to do, how they have to respond to the to the heavy personnel, and the the hybrid nature of all four of our top tight ends. Heck, even throw in Brett Seether. That guy's a hybrid type tight end. Maybe not the same level as the other guys, not the same level as the other guys, but he can do a lot of those same things as well. So I think the tight ends are the ones that give us the best options and the best chance to be explosive, which I know sounds crazy. Tight ends give you a chance to be more explosive than receivers but in our case I just happen to think that's the case but here's the problem here's the problem when you use your tight ends that much if we went because I think you could justifiably go with 12 and 13 personnel 70 plus percent of the time I think you could and still be very explosive and very efficient with our with our offense and how it's structured the problem with that though is this all of your receivers are going to transfer they're all entering the portal and then you talk about us having issues recruiting receivers right now, which we do. How are you going to recruit any receiver worth a damn if you're running 12 and 13 personnel 70-plus percent of the time? Which I know a lot of Georgia fans would probably want ideally, and I get that. But you have to think about this practically. You have to have receivers on your roster. And our coaching staff gets killed by our fan base for not recruiting a higher caliber of receiver on a consistent basis. And a big part of that is is how we structure our offense. Guys, there's a ton of negative recruiting that is done against us in our offense because what do opposing coaches tell receivers, those high-level guys that we're after? They say, Dude, you're not going to get the football. They got Brock Bowers. They got Darnell Washington. They have Ari Gilbert. They have Oscar Dell. They're not throwing you the ball. You might get a couple looks, two, three looks a game, but that's it. Those are the only targets you're getting. That's all that's coming your way. You better make the most of them. You come play for us. We don't have tight ends like that. We'll throw you the ball 10, 15 times a game. You'll put up big numbers. You'll get those big NIL deals. You'll get on the NFL draft boards. You get drafted high. You get a big contract. Boom. That's great for you, great for your family. That's what's happening behind the scenes. And if we lean fully into this 12, 13 personnel, 70 plus Percent of the time, which again, I'd be okay with at least in this isolated season because I think that gives us a really good chance. And those tight ends are incredible, but you also have to balance it out because you need receivers. And if you want to improve our wide receiver recruiting, at some point, you got to throw receivers the ball. That's the bottom line. If you want us to actually get those five star guys, we've got to show them, hey, guys, we'll give you the football. And that's why I think George Pickens going down that injury last year, I know we still won the national title, so it's all great. Who cares, right? But here's why it matters. I think George would have been our second 1,000-yard receiver in program history last year. I think he would. I mean, look at what he's doing in the NFL right now. He's already a starter. They <laughs> haven't even played a real game. He's already a starter. He was a starter before their first preseason game in Pittsburgh. That guy was going to put up 1,000 yards. I don't care if Stetson Bennett was a quarterback. I don't care. He was going to put up a 1,000 yards. That's the kind of player he was. He had developed his game. He would polished his game up more. But, hey, man, he got injured. And that hurt us. That killed us. Because if we were able to show that, hey, guys, all this negative recruiting is a bunch of crap, George Pickens just a 1,000 yards. If you're elite, we'll get you the football. Well, we aren't able to do that right now, and that's a problem. And until we are able to do that, it's going to continue to be a problem. And if you're running 12 and 13 personnel all the time, then you just kind of feed into the negative recruiting, which sucks, but it's, it's part of the game. It's how it works. Okay, let's move on. One more question here. Our last question is from Brian, and Brian very simply asks, what is your biggest concern on the Georgia defense this year? Good question, Brian. I appreciate it, man. My biggest concern, you know, for a while, it was the field cornerback opposite Keely Ringo for the simple fact that whoever plays that position is going to have essentially zero meaningful experience, which when you're playing the secondary, that's concerning. That's concerning to a degree. But the more I I think about it and the closer we get to the season— I'm more concerned about our rush defense. And it's not that I don't think we're going to be good against the run. I fully expect us to be very good against the run, or at least good against the run. But I have questions about whether or not we're going to be as dominant against the run as we have been the past two years. In fact, I would say no. The answer right now is no. We will not be as dominant against the run. I'm actually very curious to see how we go about structuring our defense this year without a big space eater like Jordan Davis in the middle of your defense. How do we do that? Do we try to get more aggressive? Do we do more stunt mode stuff up front where we just kind of turn our defensive linemen loose to be aggressive and make plays? I'm curious to see that because I think those are the kind of players that we have. That's what Jalen Carter does best. Zion Logos, I mean... I guess he's closer to Jordan Davis, but obviously he's not Jordan Davis. He's not that body type. Bear Alexander, I think, can be that guy, but he's not ready to be that guy right now, so I just have questions about how we're going to do it. I'm curious to see how that's going to be structured and how we're going to go about doing it. I will give Kirby Smart and our defensive brain trust a lot of credit. They've done a fantastic job of evolving and fitting our defensive scheme to the talent on hand, and I fully expect that to be the case again this year. I just, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I'm very curious. I have ideas is I think we should do some more stunt mode stuff and I think that we will be more disruptive and try to create more negative plays because I think that's what the guys we have on hand our personnel allows us to do more so this year rather than just eating space like Jordan Davis although Jordan was obviously very athletic in his own right but he was that space eating type body that we just don't have this year and my here's why I'm concerned about this because if we're not as good against the run that's a problem for this defense because the past couple years our defense has been built on being just flat-out dominant against the run, and what that allows us to do, it allows us to defend the run with even numbers in the box because we were just that strong individually, and we could win our individual matchups consistently enough to defend the run with even numbers and do it at a dominant rate. And that allowed us to play with a two-high safety shell consistently in the back end and allowed us to defend against explosive plays which is something that Kirby puts a premium on. It's something that I put a premium on. Explosive plays change games, and we do not want to give them up. So are we going to be as good against the run, or are we going to have to rely on getting extra bodies in the box more often this year to slow down the run game, thereby leaving us more vulnerable to those explosive plays, especially with a very young cornerback, whoever wins that job, whether it's it's Kamari Laster, whether it's Nyland Green, whoever it ends up being, whoever it's going to be is going to be young and inexperienced, and that's not a situation that I want to be in having a single high safety look out there. Now, what you'd probably do is you'd shade towards that that cornerback and leave Keeley in one-on-one coverage. And hopefully Keeley takes that next step this year. But still, I'd feel much more comfortable being able to play a bunch of 2 high safety looks and coverage as opposed to those single high looks playing middle of the field close stuff because that takes you out of some of what you're able to do defensively, makes you more predictable. And I just don't love that. So right now, I'm going to say stop in the run. Can we be as good as we were? Probably not as good, but like, can we keep it relatively close to what we've been the past couple years? That's my biggest concern right now. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the podcast. Here's what I need you guys to do for us. Curtis and I, or maybe Charlie and I, one of us. Curtis will be on next week. I think we might get Charlie back on next week as well. We'll see what happens. But we are going to do a bold predictions episode. I'll be on it. It might be Curtis. It might be Charlie someone will be on there with me. And I need your help. I need your bold predictions. We've done this the past couple years. We've had a lot of fun with this. You guys always send some fantastic bold predictions. And guys, the goal is to be bold. Be as bold as you can. These can be bold predictions about the Georgia football team, individual players, the way we end the season, records, whatever. But your predictions don't necessarily have to be Georgia specific. They can be SEC centric. They can be more in the broader national college ball landscape. Whatever bold prediction you have, send it our way. Again, you can send those to us on Twitter. That's at glory underscore UGA. You can email them to us, gloryugapodcast at gmail.com, or you can send them to us on Instagram. Again, that's at glory UGA podcast so uh, have at it guys I'm very curious to see what you guys can come up with we're gonna have a lot of fun with that next week but I appreciate each and every one of you I hope you all have a fantastic weekend we don't have college football this season we are very close to that that's next week in week zero but we do have some high school football I already started watching that on Wednesday I'm actually gonna get ready here and go to the Clark Central Cedar Shoals game the Classic City Championship here in just a minute take that game in the Corky Kale Kickoff Classic is in full go I used to play in that back in the day way 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 back in the day now but it's still going strong a lot of good teams a lot of big time players out there to watch so enjoy some football this weekend guys and we will be right back here covering more Georgia sports for you guys next week but thank you for listening I'm Tyler and as always
0: go dogs.